0: Welcome to the Make Better Photos and Videos Podcast. I am Ross. And I am Gordon. Good to see you, Gordon. We've talked in the past about depth
1: of field, and I want to take it one step further this time. Okay. Should we start at the beginning, Miss Andrews?
0: If we start at the very beginning, that's a very good place to start. So why don't you start? by kicking us off with a simple description of depth of field.
1: Simple. Okay. I think, I believe we had uh, gone through this on a previous episode, but I feel there's more to this coming up. So, the depth of field is the part of the image that is in focus, looking from the closest point to the most distant point. It's not a sharp delineation. But as in the eye of the beholder in every other uh, occasion, everyone can figure out for themselves what is sharp and what is not. And that very differ depending upon who is actually looking. Very reasonable.
0: And when you say beholder, I presume you do not mean the six-foot-in-diameter giant floating eyeball.
1: Uh, Generally not.
0: Okay. Because beholder's not nice. (laughs) Very clear, though. So, again, as a reminder for our listeners, because as you say, we have talked about this, what are the three things that impact depth of field
1: in an image? Ah, so testing me, I should see if I've absorbed anything from you in the past. All right, challenge is accepted. First, we know that aperture impacts depth of field with a large aperture offering less depth of field while the smaller aperture... Offers more depth of field. The second component is the focal length of the lens relative to the sensor size. Uh, There's a lesser focal length or a shorter focal length having more depth of field, and a lens with a longer focal length having less depth of field. And the third component is the sensor to subject distance impacts the field. The closer you are, the less depth of field. And bringing the combination of these three factors together is what defines the final depth of field of that particular image. Or to put it more simply, the depth of field is either proportional to or impacted by f-stop, distance of sensor to subject, and the focal length of the lens.
0: That's an excellent definition and very easy to understand. And this is why when we ask a photographer about their exif information on a different photograph, is of such negligible use. Because every scenario is potentially different. But it's super useful to you as a photographer and a creator if you're using depth of field as part of a depth of field exercise.
1: Oh, oh. Oh, I'm seeing an assignment coming over the horizon.
0: Well, you're correct. Oh, dear. And just as you see the mast of the ship first, (laughs) you see the top of the assignment coming. Every photograph that gets made, and I mean made as opposed to picture taken, will involve some level of pre-visualization, some planning, and some thought. And as we know, proper practice is the mother of skill.
1: Uh, Okay, Ansel, let's not frighten the audience, even if you are correct.
0: So, where are you going with that? (laughs) Answer, Sorry, couldn't help myself. Okay, it's really simple. There are three steps to the exercise. Step one, you're going to need a camera, a zoom lens, a tripod, and a subject. Second step, step two, you're going to need a camera, a fixed focal length lens, a tripod, and a subject that contains elements at different distances from the sensor and that'll be clear when we delineate that. The third step requires a camera, a fixed focal length lens, a reasonably close subject, and a tripod. Those are the tech pieces
1: anyway. Okay, so that implies there's more to this than I'm getting. I think I'm also going to suggest to the listeners that this sounds like a good time to grab a notebook or some and a clipboard or, and some writing implements because you're about to put something on us.
0: You are correct, sir. The final component, and I think the most important one, is you, the photographer, and your personal commitment to your development as a photographer and in building your skills in pre visualization.
1: Well, You know, I'm not one to uh, shirk the possibility the opportunity to create other opportunities for myself and others. So, lead on, Macduff. Okay, step one works like this. Identify
0: your subject, set your camera and zoom lens at a distance from the subject where you're able to use all the focal length options of your zoom lens so that subject is never going to fall out of focus. Now set your aperture to f4 or 5,6, and lock the aperture in. You want aperture to become a non-variable option in this. You also have the subject at a fixed distance, and that is also non-variable. So the only thing that is going to possibly change in this exercise is the focal length. Consequently, once you've got this all set up, you're going to make a series of images at as many different focal lengths as the lens affords and that you feel is worthwhile. Maintain the same point of focus for every image. Don't move the camera. Don't move the tripod. Don't change anything in relation to the subject. Those things have to stay fixed. Once you've made your images, at a variety of different focal lengths. That's why the zoom lens is so perfect. Import the images and set them in a grid so you can view them together And this is gonna help you create the first of some learning tools we're gonna do today to help you recognize values of depth of field. In this case, the tool will help you recognize the impact of focal length on depth of field. I'm gonna propose that you make a collage of your images, put a little label for each focal length and store it on your phone or tablet as your depth of field guide for focal lengths. Now, this is something that you and others have done many times in the in the course of exercises to make these collages and put labels on them and turn them into reference material. Mm-hmm.
1: And that's really what mm-hmm. you're doing here.
0: You're building reference
1: material. Well, that doesn't sound particularly hard. But just to clarify, if I understand this correctly, the position of the zoom lens is within the close focus distance at the smallest and the longest focal lengths, so that as you zoom out, you're not going to lose your ability to focus as you change your focal lengths. I would tend to call this the Goldilocks position, or, for those who don't know Goldilocks, it's not too hot, not too cold, not too far, not too close. And now that you've explained it to this old fool, (laughs) I agree.
0: It's not hard. And in fact, this is a pretty standard training model, but many folks who've never been to photo school will not have done it and created this tool for themselves.
1: Okay. So where do we go with step two?
0: For this one, you're probably going to have to find a different location because of what you're going to be shooting. What you're going to look for is a location where there is a line moving away from you of similar subjects that start close and move away in some kind of linear fashion. Telephone poles, a line of poplar trees, even a fence line can work uh, as potential examples. But you can find anything that you like as long as it follows those guidelines. Set your camera and fixed focal length lens on your tripod and focus on one of the repeating elements about two-thirds into the frame. Now lock the focus down by turning autofocus off. You don't want the focus changing as you make the images. Make a series of images at every full stop that your lens supports. You know, a popular lens for this exercise might be like a 50 millimeter full frame equivalent. And that may have apertures in a range of, say, f1.4, f2, f2.8, f4, f5.6, f8, f11, f16. Pretty standard stuff. Without changing focus or camera position, you're going to come away with, in that example, eight images, one for each aperture. Bring those images into your computer and make a collage of all the images, use your labels, labeling each different aperture. And again, store it on your phone or your tablet as your depth of field guide for different aperture values. The purpose of this tool is to help you get better at pre-visualizing the effect of aperture on depth of field.
1: Okay, well uh, that sounds even more clear than the previous one, so not hard, so what's the catch?
0: Well the catch again is the human. It's about having the discipline to actually complete the exercise. This is a photo school standard because it helps you learn to pre-visualize depth of field. Now, I understand that mirrorless cameras show depth of field in real time, but remember, DSLRs don't. And even with the benefit of mirrorless, lots of photographers still don't think about aperture as a primary driver of depth of field. They think of it first as how much light is passing through the lens. They know that it controls depth of field, but they don't think of it. It's not part of their process.
1: Yeah, I I think I would agree with that. And what about number three? Well, step three is a lot like step two,
0: except you're going to have one subject where you're going to position the lens and the camera such that the subject is about a foot away from the camera lens combination's closest focus point. So you're not going to want to use a macro lens, for example, or extension tubes. You're going to put the lens on the camera and you're going to determine what its closest focus point is And then move the camera and lens so you're at least a foot away from the closest focus point. You don't want to be racked right against the edges of focus. Once you've done that, set your tripod with camera and lens at the appropriate distance. So if your lens close focus to one foot, you would put your subject about two feet away. Okay, outside that close zone. Focus on one element of your subject. Now, this is important because we're using parts of our subject for delineation. One of the tools I find useful for this is a medium to large flower that's got some depth to it. It's illustrative, it's a pleasing subject, and you have a lot of detail moving in space. Front to back, make an image at every full stop that the lens can do, just like in step two. When this is complete, bring your images into your photographic tool. Make that collage with each aperture labeled as well as an indicator of lens and sensor to subject distance and store it on your phone or tablet. This becomes your depth of field guide for close subject distances. The impact of aperture on depth of field
1: when we're really close to the subject. Okay. So, now I have three collages on my phone. And my phone is always with me. So I can then refer to these to pre-visualize the impact of a depth of field and allows me to have an idea of where to choose before I make the shot. But if I shoot mirrorless, and I think you referred to this, and I will see the camera showing me the depth of field, do I really need to bother? Well, that's a personal
0: decision, but in reality, it's about proper practice. These images that you're building become references, so you can start to guide your pre-visualizations before you bring the camera to the eye. This planfulness encourages mental engagement before you think about squeezing the shutter. You learn to decide what your outcome is going to be before you touch the camera at all. Benefits include much less spray and pray and more getting to your goal without having to make hundreds of shots. In a way, it's sort of like a martial art, where you practice a movement or a kata until you can do it smoothly without thinking about doing it, and it becomes a natural response. A strong photographer sees depth of field without a camera. The camera and the lens chosen deliver on the visualization in the
1: photographer's mind. I I think this, this is all really useful because... The the more of this that I do, I realize more and more that the pre-visualization component is huge, in the way a photographer turns out. In the those cases where I've forgotten to do this, or stopped paying attention to doing it, generally the shots from that shoot look terrible. So I am. I think this is re- a really good exercise for those who are serious about improving uh, their photographic skills. But what if I have a number of different lenses? In a way, I think you've answered this, but should I repeat this procedure with each lens that I have so that I have a encyclopedic knowledge of where each lens is going to take me?
0: Well, certainly, if you have the discipline to do it, one should do it for every lens that one has. And if you've got cameras with different size sensors and therefore different lenses, it's a really good idea because the response you get with from like focal lengths, but on different size sensors is gonna result in different depth of field, right? Mirrorless with a full-frame equivalent lens is gonna have different depth of field than a full-frame sensor right. at the same distance and such. So I think it's a great thing to do if you can build that database or album or whatever of those collages, and you can just look at them in
1: your spare time and build that pre-visualization skill. So what you're really saying then is that F4 is not necessarily F4, is not necessarily F4, depending upon the other factors that are built in to this whole depth of field concept. Absolutely right. Okay. F4 so, is F4, yes, F4 only in
0: the context of light transmission.
1: Okay. But not the depth of field. So if, of you field. Don't, if you don't do it with the other lenses, you may choose to make the wrong decisions because you think I've picked F4, my depth of field is going to be 6 inches, 8 inches, 2 feet, whatever. But it may not hold true depending upon what lens you have on your camera. So I think I I really think this is going to be a, it's going to be an eye opener for all the people that undertake this particular challenge.
0: Well, I I think you have a clear understanding of this opportunity, and again, we're not inventing something brand new here. I learned this at photo school. Don't say how far long ago it was. A while ago. Let's just <laughs> leave it at that. And it applies. It still works. I
1: don't think they do this anymore. But for one thing, the number of people who take any kind of a a course in doing this uh, seems to be shrinking. So I think that's probably
0: true. We have had the opportunity to meet lots of wonderful folks who really want to become better photographers. mm -hmm. This exercise helps you do that. Yep. So for the Make Better Photos and Videos podcast, I want to thank you for listening please do consider clicking to subscribe to the podcast and to the articles to be notified when new content becomes available. I'm Ross
1: and I'm Gordon and I'm going back to the drawing board or the grindstone and we will speak to you again soon or whenever I am done with this challenge.